You're listening to That'll Preach, our weekly podcast on theology and culture, and uh, just, just all these wonderful thoughts that our wonderful minds think up is what I like to tell people. At 11 p.m. At 11 p.m. Mm-hmm. Uh, so thank you all for listening to this. Uh, I'm here with Paul, I'm Brian, and we're going to have a, a nice little continuation of the conversation we started last week about mere Christianity. Yeah. And uh, and we gave up Whataburger to do this right we, now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we were deciding uh, before this was like, do I want to hear Whataburger? It's 11 a.m. 11 p.m. Oh, my gosh. 11 a.m. Whataburger sounds sad. <laughs> and then Paul, my re- and I was, I just wasn't sure if I wanted to eat it. And I not. was like your little Jiminy Cricket conscience. Yeah, you were it's like, like, it's probably not good for your health. And so but, here we are. You know, life is a mist. Eat what you want is what James says. <laughs> anyway, Paul... <laughs> How are you doing today? I am doing fantastic because I got a hot take. You got a hot take. I do have a hot take. Okay. We usually open up every show with a hot take. So Paul has a hot take for us. Unpopular opinion or strange opinion or really any opinion that Paul has. Just whatever I want to say. Anything, any opinion that Paul has is going to be unpopular and strange. That's right. So there you go. So all of my takes are hot takes. You should see his dating profile. (laughs) (laughs) All right. All my takes are hot takes. Give us your hot take. All right. By the way, if any of you have seen Paul's dating profile out there, <laughs> let us know. Go ahead. Why do you want to know? Ah, go ahead. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah, 11 p.m. thoughts with Brian. My hot take is this. Every single video game that's become a movie is terrible. And Fact. so f- for that reason, I'm skeptical about the upcoming uh, Mortal Kombat movie. Well, I think this will... Well... All the evidence stands against it. Resident Evil, Tomb Raider, this is Pikachu. Such a nerdy conversation. I mean, but they're like they're mainstream. The Assassin's Creed. All of our cool fans are going to be tuning out. What cool fans? We uh, don't have fans. I know. I know. I know. <laughs> okay, so let's think about Tomb Raider. I heard that was terrible. Yeah, both. Of there them. was a Mario Brothers movie. You know, there was like, a Tomb Raider remake. Yeah, yeah, there was a Tomb Raider remake. Mario Bros. movie. There was both that. Mortal Kombat's were terrible, gloriously terrible. It was a Street Fighter movie. <laughs> Dragon Ball. Well, that's not really, yeah. But that, yeah. But yeah. Resident cool. Evil, Assassin's Creed, Pikachu, Sonic. Like they're all just they're all terrible. Yeah, that's true. It's because it's like they're made to like just you know for you know guys it's living like in their basements to have playing some fun. the game is why it's fun and yeah, you remove this, that completely. Yeah, it's not like there's a deep story there, and so when you try to put it into like a story form, you realize it's. I mean, I, kind of empty. My honest, I think Mortal Kombat, the new movie that's going to come out, is going to. By the way, it finished filming like years ago, like because of COVID. It was, I think. Oh, I so think they that just waited the to release it or something like that. A couple movies. This happened to a couple movies where they, they were already filmed and done, and then they just didn't release it during COVID. Right. Yeah. 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 Um, but I will say this about Mortal Kombat: if you go into it just expecting it to be a video game movie i think you'll have a fun time you get what i'm saying if you go into it being like i hope this is going to be like a riveting expose on the human condition and how we deal with grief and trauma or something like that you're going to be very disappointed but if you go in being like this is going to be some good special effects some good fight scenes but i don't think it's not even going to rise to the level of like marvel and i don't think those are gripping stories but they're just genuinely fun to watch but the video game movies aren't even that they're like the acting is bad they're kind of like low did you Low ever play Mortal quality? Kombat as a kid? I did, yeah. Oh, you did? Mortal Kombat. Mortal Kombat. <laughs> and then you got the do 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 That's like Mario. Yeah. Oh my. <laughs> that was so Mario bad. Kombat! <laughs> <laughs> well, look, who, who did you play as? Who was your favorite uh, character? Uh Oh, man. I, Raiden. I just had like Street Fighter and Mortal Kombat like meshed in my mind right now. Oh, Street Fighter. And I was going to say Ryu. That's, yeah, that's the Ryu, wrong game. No. Man, I, uh, I don't You are not a true fan. I was not. But that just shows that I you're always a lot played geekier as than the, I am. Uh, the uh, Hindu guy that stretched. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> he was like, oh man, he was so awesome. Because nobody could touch you. Literally, this dude is, I would only just kick, but the kick is like half the screen. His, his body's like elastic. It's amazing. That... Wow, that tells me so much about you. Like, that explains so much. Uh, I don't know how, but I agree. Hindu stretching man. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> sounds, anyway, like, sounds like a but, yoga pose. <laughs> but, but but point taken. Yes. I, I agree. I agree that um, it's just hard to adapt those. I mean, any kind of franchise adaptation from another medium, mm-hmm. you 
you run into a couple things with like, you've got these diehard fans that want it to be exactly a certain way. And sometimes that can get in the way of actually telling a good story. But with books to movies, like there's a much higher success rate. Right, right. And I think that's because video games- the stories are already good. At least the classic franchises, they're more for entertainment replayability than it is for a gripping story. Yeah. But uh, I think storytelling and- I think this, I, honestly, I haven't played a lot of the new. I really haven't played a lot of video games like new. Like, but they just seem like they're more story. Like the last Mortal Kombat I played was like in nineteen ninety eight or something. Oh, okay, yeah, <laughs> or two thousand. I don't even remember. So I haven't yeah. kept up with like the newest ones. But uh, I guess the moral of the story as a, is as a middle schooler, that was awesome. Keep storytelling to storytelling exactly, and then don't try to like make movies out of don't try to make stories out of non-stories we should make a mortal Kombat game but of philosophers arguing with each other that's a great one i think that would fly off the shelves choose your character choose your philosopher <laughs> what would it be called emmanuel combat can't oh <laughs> that was, that was so terrible bad. i was uh, trying to make a joke about emmanuel kant moral combat <laughs> moral Oh, that yes. actually works. That's perfect. Moral combat. Moral combat. It's just like ethicists. <laughs> oh, we that was to too good. Moral combat. Oh man, that's like an SNL sketch waiting to happen. <laughs> oh, this is perfect. Uh, let's not even talk about C.S. Lewis. Let's no, just this keep is way this more just fun. Going. No, but we have to. Because we lost our... every single person. Exactly. Right now. I know. Welcome back. I know you probably fast forward through all of this. Yep. But uh, we have a really, really great. Uh, lineup of stuff to talk about today with C.S. Lewis. We are going book by book. If you've never read Mere Christianity before, it's split up into four books, and each of these books has a couple chapters in them. So um, last week we talked about, really we talked about objective morality, Yeah. how mm -hmm. we can't just be like morality is just a preference. Right. Or this culture thinks these things are moral, and this culture thinks these things are moral. <clears throat> there has to be a transcendent, an objective moral law mm -hmm. that would exist if there were no humans. Right. Right. Uh, this is not something that we just make as sort of like a social contract that we all agree these things are bad. We yep. all agree these things are good mm -hmm. uh, because that can bring you into very devastating consequences. And uh, so, so the reality that we all have this intuition that there must be some objective standard yeah. by which to measure, uh, our actions, mm -hmm. right, is really important, not just in understanding Christianity, but but really ethics in general, yeah. how we're supposed to live our lives, what morality is. And remember that Lewis is, he's doing like, kind of like an apologetic. So he's, he's, he's starting off big with talk of like God and morality, and then he's going to zone in and go a little bit more specific. Right. So I think this book too is probably the most famous, it's where all the like famous the stuff that Christians quote all the time, the the trilemma of liar, lunatic, Lord, a bunch of quotes about like, um, yeah, just just it, it is one of the most more popularly quoted ones, and it has lots of the the really iconic Lewis phrases. So yeah, this is where he talks about specifically like what Christians believe about Christ and Christ's work in the life of the Christian. Um, so yeah, we can we can just dive right in. So why don't you? be our guide into these first few uh, chapters because, I mean, this is so extensive, but really- There's he's, a lot he's, in here, oh yeah. He's, he's <clears throat> moving from just general talk about moral law yep, yep. <clears throat> to the specific talk about who Christians think God is. Yeah. And really, there's nothing more important than who Christians think God is. Yeah, yeah. And not even- our opinion, I mean, who, who God is. Like, this is actually objectively God has revealed to us who he is. Yeah. And uh, what's interesting is the majority of the world believes in some kind of deity or supernatural mm -hmm. force or whatever. And, and you could even say that the majority of the world is monotheistic, meaning yeah. there's one God. <clears throat> but uh, just among culture, you know, people say I'm, I'm spiritual, but not religious. You know, I think there's something greater. I mm -hmm. think we were created. All these things there, this vague spirituality yeah. is more common than straight up atheism. There yeah. is no God. Mm -hmm. The world is just physical matter. That's it. Yeah. And that's one of Lewis's insights. And he, he says that the Christian is in a position to affirm the goodness in other people's religions and spiritualities in that we can say, 
oh, look, they're all grasping this one thing that the material world is not all that there is, that there's something transcendent, whether it's ancestral gods, whether it's the god of the mountain, whether it's, you know, this like this feeling of transcendence that we're not alone in the world, that there might be an afterlife, there might not. Like every culture throughout history, all over the world, has had some conception of divinity, deity, spirituality. And atheism is such a tiny, tiny, tiny minority in like recent Western post-enlightenment thinking that Lewis is like, you gotta wonder like that, <laughs> maybe, maybe like there's something to, like it's not that all of us are wrong and that there's this tiny little enlightened few that have hit upon the truth, right? So, so Lewis's insight there is, hey, like as Christians, we believe Christianity is true, that's true, but we can also affirm that there's some goodness in Islam, Judaism, Hinduism, uh, like tribal religions in that they're all grasping that the natural world is not all there is, right? Like when Paul in Acts 17 goes to the Greeks and he says, you have here a temple to an unknown God. That God is the God I'm going to proclaim to you today. Like he's affirming something about the natural religion that humans are predisposed to um, and, and saying like, yeah, that that's evidence that look, we're all like trying to hit on something here, maybe imperfectly, but uh Calvin talks about how God gave all of us the sense of the divine, the sensus divinitatis, to like to try to grasp transcendence. That there's something in us that longs for something beyond matter, and it it, it fires imperfectly. Like it, it doesn't latch on to the God of Christianity. It latches on to the tribal gods or gods of the trees and mountains. But there's still something in us that craves or, or is aimed towards the divine, and it's broken by original sin. But Lewis's insight here is, yeah, like look, they're all trying to hit upon the same thing. And that, that's what makes Lewis so good at defending the faith, or not even, or just, even just making a case for yeah, Christianity, yeah. is he really understands the questions people are actually asking. Mm -hmm. You know, he's not arguing mm -hmm. people from no conception of the supernatural to yeah. one, uh, but really from a conception of God to a true, more accurate perception of God. Yeah. And... Uh, and I love how he says, um, the Christian idea is quite different. Uh, they think God invented and made the universe, like a man making a picture or composing a tune. Mm. A painter is not a picture, and he does not die if his picture is destroyed. And so he, you know, there, there's a, um, I, Lewis is really picking up on, when we talk about God, we're not talking about uh a human being magnified a thousand times. Right. We're talking about somebody of an entirely different order, the mm -hmm. creator of the universe, uh, as different from an artist is to his painting. And also yeah. there's a relationship of dependence where the painting is the work of the artist, but the artist is independent from the painting. Mm -hmm. And, but we can still see the handiwork of the artist by looking at the design of the painting. Yeah. And I think that that is a way that he <clears throat> sketches out what you were talking about with Calvin, that sense of the divine, mm -hmm. the sense that there is a some kind of order. I mean, it's hard to flesh out exactly yeah, what yeah. that means, but it's intuitive. We 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 man is a worshiping creature. Yeah, it's just a matter of whether the object of a worship is the true God or not. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, yeah, so Lewis takes great pains to flesh out in this first part the difference between pantheism and theism, which is what you were talking about there. This idea that like the universe is somehow like God's body or like all of nature is God in some way. And Lewis is like, that view is bankrupt because like you said, um, once the universe is gone, God is gone. Like that, right. that's, once the picture is destroyed, you get rid of the painter right. on, on that pantheistic level. But he says, Christianity offers us a theistic view of God where the, the world is distinct. And so we see creation as a distinct kind of thing from God. And that enables us to, you know, to draw hard distinctions. And when we worship God as being like totally, a totally different kind of thing than we are, like the ground of all being, like the way that the author relates to the story, like we talked about a couple episodes ago. So yeah, this emphasis on like God is just radically different and, and unlike us, um, is, is central to Lewis's apologetic. And I, I think it's really helpful at clearing some of the misconceptions. Well, he, he talks about how, you know, when you, when you think about, 
uh, meaning mm-hmm. in the universe. And this is one of his famous lines. He says, uh, and, and really, you you have to have a sense of God being different mm-hmm. from us. Otherwise, he can't grant meaning to us or he can't grant uh, any kind of uh, uh have any real kind of authority over us, it almost seems. Because, yeah. like, I think about with pantheism, you, the, the classic example is like, you know, Mother Nature and like, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the God is in the trees <clears> and <throat> right. in the, the water and all that stuff. The problem is, in a lot of stories where that's the case, it's like God's always needing to be protected. Like, we're harming Mother Nature and yeah. now God's dying mm-hmm. and, and God is weaker. And, and you really don't want to put your trust in that. And you don't really want that to be the source of your meaning because that that is a very, unstable source of right. meaning and purpose. Exactly, yeah. But Lewis kind of says, no, when we talk about God, we're talking about the Christian conception of God is that he is the author, he is the artist, he is above and beyond creation, but he has a relationship to it. Yeah. And his famous quote with how that gives us meaning is if the whole universe had no meaning, we should never have found out that it had no meaning, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? And, and I and I love how he he, he kind of puts that. He, he's just like, if there's no meaning, then what what, what are we even talking about, hmm. right? Yeah. And a lot of the pantheism, all these spiritual musings are built on a search for meaning. And I think nowadays we go, well, that search is impossible. Right. There's no transcendent meaning, so we just have to make it up for ourselves. Mm-hmm. And uh, Lewis goes, well, that's not really how it works. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He also offers this interesting point that on pantheism. You can't really call evil evil because right. like everything that takes place is God to some extent. So like when you look at monsoons or cancer, you're like, well, if that's like God's body, then like what grounds do we have for calling that evil? Like everything that is just is. Right. And he talks about how like the pantheistic perspective is just, oh, you have to like get beyond yourself. And, and eventually you'll get to a point where you can like see and look down and notice that all the evil is just perceived evil, but it's not actual evil. And so like, yeah, so it, it's kind of impoverished and inadequate at making sense of suffering and evil and all that stuff that we talked about in the last series on the problem of evil. Like, yeah, you need to have a distinct conception of God where God is distinct from the universe in order to be able to attribute, um, to say that God is good and, and there are elements in creation that are evil. Otherwise, if creation is just God or God's body, then you run into some significant problems there. And that's, uh, yeah, you don't want to do that. You want to avoid that. So <clears throat> Lewis goes on and talks about what he calls the invasion. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and uh, he, he, he sort of, you know, Lewis is so, he's so sharp with his, you know, wit. Uh, I love how he says, um, you must be on your guard against people who, uh, who, who who think that um, God made religion simple, mm, yeah. right? Like, like why, why, like, why can't we just like a, a sort of simple, oh, yeah. shuck spirituality? Yeah, just, yeah. You got to be on guard against these people because they're going to change their ground every minute and only waste your time. Notice too, their idea of God making religion simple as if religion were something God invented and not his statement to us of certain quite unalterable facts about his own nature. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, it's one of those things where um, we're not trying to, um, people can kind of be like, well, religion, it's too complicated. Let's just make this this kind of personal spirituality yeah, and all yeah. that stuff. And he goes, well, actually, uh, we're, in doing that, we're almost making religion sort of a pragmatic system that we create. Right. Versus, no. Our, the Christian religion comes by virtue of divine mm. revelation. Yeah. God has invaded human history mm. and told us about him. And we have to grapple with those facts. Yeah, yeah. It's not uh, meant to be user-friendly in that yeah. sense. Right? That, We're not talking about that. That kind of user-friendliness or the simplicity, I love it. He calls it Christianity and water. Right. So it's like it's like you've got scotch or vodka, whatever, and you've got this really hard liquor and you have to like mix it with something to make it more palatable. Um, I guess that's where we get the concept of like watered down, yeah, whatever. Um, but yeah, I love his like description of Christianity as it's it's like you're in enemy occupied territory, and he right. has this great quote that um, that's what this world is: enemy occupied territory. Christianity is the story of how the rightful king has already landed. You might say landed in disguise, 
and is calling us all to take part in a great campaign of sabotage, when you go to church, what you're really listening to, in effect, is the secret wireless transfer from our friends. That's why the enemy is so anxious to prevent us from going. So he's he's kind of turning the picture on its head where he's saying, like, Christianity is, like, the story's already been won. And we're all, like, in this, like, enemy, like, owned, enemy-governed system. And we're, like, we're the resistance. We're, like, spreading word of, like, the rightful king has arrived. Like, prepare. And so there's this campaign of sabotage that we're doing. And yeah, I just, his, his, like his imagery is really great. And it really captures like, I think that's just a really helpful metaphor for thinking about the Christian life in a secular world. Well, he says, uh, that's one of the reasons I believe Christianity. It's a religion you could not have guessed. That's oh, the, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. the subversive nature of it. Yeah. Uh, it's not really, you wouldn't come up with this idea of the incarnation and God mm. puts on flesh and, and he it's weird. crucified and suffers. <laughs> yeah. And, and all these things, it, it's it because it's so bizarre and so foreign to what a human would make up. Mm -hmm. That's why Lewis goes. This is probably divine. Yeah, right. Yeah. This is probably uh, a divine origin. Uh, there's a divine origin behind this this uh, this gospel message. Mm. Lewis and doesn't let you off the hook again with just some kind of vague notion of there being a spiritual world. Yeah, and he actually brings up, and this is kind of. Uh, what you talk about with with the uh, the uh, what was it? What you saying? The, the, we're, we're hearing hidden transmissions yeah. mm -hmm. of, uh, of of like this war that's going on. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> he says uh, Christianity agrees with dualism. Dualism is the idea that there's good and bad, and they're equal opposing powers. Yeah. Uh, Christianity agrees with dualism that this universe is at war, but it does not think this is a war between independent powers. It thinks it is a civil war, hmm. a rebellion. And that we are living mm. in a part of the universe occupied by the rebel. Mm. And then you you were talking about the enemy occupied territory. Yeah. Right. And I think that's such a great picture because it's like we, mo, different religions can say there's good versus evil. Yeah. But, but we're saying there's, yes, there's good versus evil, but good is more powerful. Yeah. Yeah. And evil is a rebellion against that good. Mm -hmm. And we are in the evil. We've been redeemed, but mm. now we're redeemed. We're in the evil territory on the side of good. Yeah. We're in this world of evil on the side of good, and we're working to overcome it by, yeah. the, by, the, by the power of the gospel. Which is why he says that fallen man is not simply an imperfect creature who needs improvement. He is a rebel who needs to lay down his arms. Oh, that's a great picture. Oh, that is just like, yeah. So it's true that like, we're, we're defective, we're broken. And this is like the language that evangelicals love, like to describe the human condition. We're broken, there's something missing with us. Yes, but there's also this active component that we are in active rebellion against God. So the, the call of the gospel is to lay down your arms and to stop partaking in this rebellion. Like you are in a state of rebellion against God. That's that's this whole picture of good versus evil. Um, it's not just like, hey, we're, we're, we're broken and we're not doing anything. No, we're in a state of active like hostility towards God. We are enemies of God. And so what it takes like to, 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 to be reconciled, to come out of that state is to literally lay down your hostility, lay down your arms and surrender, like submit all this kind of stuff. And, and yeah, uh, it's just like, that is a beautiful quote. And the irony is that he says, uh, when you are arguing against him, against God, you are arguing against the very power that makes you able to argue at all. It is like cutting off the branch you're sitting on. Hmm. So this rebel rebellion is oddly <laughs> enough, he's the one sustaining the life of all these rebels that yeah. are fighting against him. Yep. You know, and uh, it, it even brings into greater magnitude when God calls you to lay down your arms, lay down your, your weapons. It's almost like a, a parent telling his kid, put down your fake, exactly. you know, fake hammer. You're not actually going to hurt me. Mm -hmm. and you look stupid doing this, yeah. right? Lay it down and <clears throat> it's going to be better for you. Yep. Right. And that's how God, God does not threaten by us at all. Right. You know, again, back to the, the pantheism thing where mother nature is threatened by our mm. whatever. And we can't threaten God. We can't make him the least bit concerned about losing. Right. So it is a gracious <clears throat> act that he allows us the chance to surrender. And it's also a rational act. And it's also an act that is best for us. Right. Lay down your arms. Yeah, Why yeah. are you fighting against the person who actually gives you the arms to lay down? Yeah. No, and that, I think that is an important, like, 
it is for our good. So it's not just for some like abstract, like notion of justice. Like once you lay down your arms, like then you'll be okay. But no, like that state of rebellion is actually bad for you as a human being. So that if you submit, you're doing what you're created to do. And I love this. This is where you see like Lewis and his platonic Augustinian, like you see all of that come through when he says, God made us. He invented us as a man invents an engine. A car is made to run on gasoline and it would not run properly on anything else. Now God designed the human machine to run on himself. He himself is the fuel our spirits were designed to burn, the food our spirits were designed to feed on. There is no other. This is why it's just no good asking God to make us happy in our own way without bothering about religion. God can't give us a happiness and peace apart from himself because it is not there. There is no such thing. And this is that, like, recall, like, when we talked about Augustine, that whole, like, you have made us for yourself and we're restless until we find our rest in you. This is, like, where you see that clearly shine through in Lewis's theology, that humanity is missing this key component because we're designed to be a certain way. We're designed to be in relation with God. And when that's not there, you, you will be restless. You will feel, like, aimless. You will feel like you need to just fight and, and rebel and all this stuff. And, and that's because you're internally disordered. And the gospel being in right connection with God means that you have this kind of right ordering. You don't need to, to strive and rebel and you can enjoy this like divine peace and rest. And I think that that is, it's a truly, really attractive like diagnosis of human psychology. Well, it, it's such a brilliant, you know, picture. It's like a car runs on fuel. We yeah. run on God. And yep. I mean, it's, mm -hmm. and it's a true thing. Like yeah. you were... I love what he, what he says, like you mentioned, God can't give us <clears throat> happiness and peace apart from himself. There's no such thing. Yeah. God is the source of all goodness and joy yeah. and happiness. Um, but I, on a practical level, though, I, I always read these and I'm like, yeah, that makes sense. That sounds good. But does that mean that like, <laughs> you know, you read the Bible and you're just going to feel great or always it seems practical, like this Brian. is, it seems like this is an emotional thing. Yeah. Are we supposed to have this emotion <clears throat> of happiness and peace? All the, like, yeah. not even all the time, but like most of the time, is that is that supposed to be the average experience of the Christian? I think, I think this kind of like the happiness or like the peace that Lewis is describing here is probably not like, I don't know, you know how Jesus talks about like the peace I give to you is not the same kind of peace that the world gives to you. And I think there is a kind of like superficial, like I feel good, but that's because everything is going well. And there's another kind of like, I am okay, even though everything around me sucks. And that kind of like, I guess, deep-seated contentedness or like trust or assurance that God has things under control and that everything's going to be worked out in the end. I think that kind of like deferring to God or being able to trust and take hold the promises of God, that itself is a kind of peace and assurance that doesn't have to look like a happy clappy or just kind of silly and superficial. I think that's important to hear because you could easily Instagram this. Sure, and yeah. People can be like, oh, <laughs> dang, I don't know God because I don't feel happy and peace all the time. You yeah, know? yeah. Um, <clears throat> but you, but uh, yeah, maybe I buy what you're saying. I don't know. I mean, I, I guess it kind of makes sense. <laughs> maybe. I don't know. I'm, I'm trying to be charitable to Lewis here. I, I think it's true because I think, yeah, Augustine has this idea, like Pascal has this, this idea of like there's a God-shaped hole in all of us. Right. And it sounds it's like this kind of thing you learn in Sunday school, but it is true, like, if God made us for himself, then you'd expect there to be like a God-shaped hole. Maybe it's holistic too. A oh, holistic. Wow. <laughs> we only think in terms of we want God to fill an emotional need. Right. And he may or may not. But <clears throat> if you think about what Christianity brings to your life, it does bring a purpose. It sure, does bring yeah. a community. It does bring practices into your life. It does bring a sense of security in, you know, the fact that you were created, that you have a design. So... It may not be readily emotionally apparent, yeah. But but Christianity and 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 you know the religious life, I yeah. Mean, mm -hmm. In general, does give you stability. Yeah. Now it's not just that. That's not why you believe it. Just because it gives you stability, you believe it because it's true. But I think part of it is going. You know, when when you think about having God, mm -hmm. sometimes we over spiritualize that. We go having God means you just. <laughs> zone out and you just feel this euphoric whatever 
But what does it mean? What does it mean to uh, have God or commune with God? Well, what does the scripture say? It's when you read his word. Yeah. When you pray, Mm -hmm. when you're with the church, you pray with the saints, you know, Ephesians talking about together with the saints, we behold the love of Christ. That's a vast understanding, Mm -hmm. right? Um, The sacraments, right? Service to others. These are all the mediums through which we are worshiping God and being worshipful of God. Mm -hmm. So having God, I think we we have a very narrow view of what it means for, um, for God to give himself to us. Yeah. Does, that, does that make yeah, sense? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Like, he's giving himself to us <clears throat> in different mediums. And it's not always this sort of movie-ish kind of thing where, where this ball of bright light appears in our mind and we yeah, feel yeah. calm all of a sudden. Speaking of God giving himself to us, maybe we could pivot here and talk about like how Lewis talks specifically about the claims of Christ or like taking the abstract and making it more precise. So he says like, okay, so all of this stuff sounds great. Morality, theism, pantheism, evil, like there's a God-filled, there's a God-shaped hole. But like, how does like, how do we take this like broken humanity and have it access or take hold of the goodness of God and all the good things that God has to offer? So he says God has a three a solution that's in three steps. The first is God gives us a conscience to know him, which is kind of what he talks about in that first book of like, okay, there's moral laws. We have intuitions. We can have the sense of right and wrong. The second is the common grace of natural religion. So we look at like, we have a tendency to think about the divine. We have transcendent experiences. We all this sort of stuff, right? Like religion and religious practice are rife in human culture. The third, and this is hilarious, he says, Third, God selected one particular people and spent several centuries hammering into their heads the sort of God that he was, that there was only one of him, and that he cared about right conduct. Those people were the Jews, and the Old Testament gives an account of the hammering process. So here Lewis goes from the abstract to the extremely concrete and says, God has given a special revelation that's not just conscience, that's not just the natural world. He's spoken into a a, a people and had a specific people preserve truths about the monotheistic God so that there's a kind of special revelation that can be gifted to the world. And it's in that context that we have the story of Jesus as like the fullness of special revelation. And that's so, you know, insightful of Lewis mm-hmm. because it is sort of a, when you read the Old Testament, Jewish people were real people. Yeah. They're still around today. <laughs> yeah. Israel was a real historical nation. Mm. And so you have in history uh God doing something in history. Yeah. Right through this through this actual nation. He one particular people hammering to the head the sort of God that he <laughs> is. Right? And the Old Testament really is a picture of that hammering process. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Israel means those who strive with God. Mm or against God, or they're yeah, wrestling yeah, with God. Yeah. And uh, and this is something that sets up understanding uh, the incarnation and oh, how, yeah. and what, what Jesus is, is claiming, right? And, and he makes that case where he goes, here, he, and this is a strange thing because here's this nation that God created in Israel. Mm-hmm. And then now this man shows up and starts saying people, you know, their sins are forgiven, Yep. right? Uh, he's healing people, right? Uh, and he acts as though he is the chief party concern and he's the one offended by people's sins. Yeah. Right? He's not saying, I'm offended that you offended God. He's saying, I'm personally offended because I am God. Mm-hmm. And, and so he's this not just forgiving sins is, against, like, he's forgiving other people's sins for things that they do against other people, which is like, yeah, he's, he's taking, like, that's a personal offense against himself. And, you know, that leads to the, the famous trilemma. Trilemma. Yeah. Where, look, if Jesus is saying these things about himself in the context of Israel, mm-hmm. right? Either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. Yep. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon. Or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. And again, in the Jewish context, 
it's fine if you want to talk about God and his law. They love that. Yeah. Right? That, that's what they were all about. But to say that you're God yourself, to even insinuate that, mm-hmm. that's blasphemy, right? And I love how Lewis pushes that forward. He goes, look, Jesus is either crazy, right? Uh, or he's a demon, mm-hmm. like a deceptive liar, yeah, right? Or he's really God. But he can't just be a nice human teacher with some cool ideas. The thing that I always found least compelling about this, though, is that like there's a there's a critical like critical scholarship talks about how like there could be another option, which is that Jesus never said those things, and those things were added later by like his disciples, and so like maybe there's a there's a fourth L there of like legend, like there is like just Jesus the teacher, and then like you know his disciples or other people put those words into his mouth, and so Lewis like. You know, just just as an apologetics thing, like if, if you're thinking about using this, like yeah, you could, skeptics. There are ways around bring, Lewis's trilemma. Or, yeah, you know, yeah. Uh, you could simply say, or you could just say he was a a prophet, <clears throat> an apocalyptic prophet, speaking about you know, yeah, the yeah. end of the world or mm-hmm. something like that. Um, but true, but but I think for the average person, this does strike at somebody because I think that is. I love what he yeah. says. It's patronizing to be yes. like. <laughs> I think I love the teachings of Jesus. It's like, yeah. do you know what Jesus taught? Yeah, do you know what radical. he said? Yeah. yeah, I don't know. Like, <laughs> it's, it's, and even it's funny. It's just like, even if they've only read the Sermon on the Mount, like, oh, blessed are the poor in spirit. It's like, or, you know, do, do you, like, do you know what is, do you do this? Yeah, yeah. Like, do you actually, do you really think that's good? Because if you did, you'd be doing it and you're not. And right, it's like, right, right. It, that's a, still a radical call. Yeah, yeah. So I don't know what people are talking about as if, Anything Jesus says makes him safe or not challenging. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that's why it's so powerful when you get people to actually read the Gospels and they go, Jesus is Jesus. different. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I didn't know he was like this. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It can either make or break your version of Christianity. Right. When you actually encounter who Jesus is with all of his pretty radical, you know, insane claims. If he's not who he says he is, those claims are, like Lewis says, He's on a par with a man who says he's a poached egg. Yeah, Someone who's I, I just don't even totally know what a poached of, egg is, but I'm offended. You don't know what a poached egg is? No, You've never had a poached egg? Uh, maybe I have. I have no idea. Like when you break, when you crack an egg and put it in some you water. You just poached an egg right there. <laughs> I just crashed my laptop. Well, <laughs> he, and it, you know, he, he talks about, and I love how Lewis focuses, we're going to move a little forward now because he, 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 he goes from talking about Jesus as the son of God to also Jesus as a sacrifice, mm-hmm. right? And he says that uh, Jesus, you know, we are told that Christ was killed for us, that his death has washed out our sins. And that by dying, I love what he says, that by dying, he disabled death itself. That is the formula. That is Christianity. That is what has to be believed. Mm-hmm. And that is a really holistic view of redemption right he, and later lewis talks about how part of how jesus he doesn't just forgive our sins he changes us removes us from slavery to death mm-hmm. which looks like this we're unlearning self-conceit and self-will that we have been training ourselves into for thousands of years that's what yeah. Lewis says yeah yeah it means killing part of yourself undergoing a kind of death in fact it needs a good man to repent and here comes the catch only a bad person needs to repent and only a good person can repent perfectly. Mm-hmm. So he's almost saying what repentance is, is this really unpleasant experience that's extremely difficult because it requires us to kill a part of ourselves and be transformed. Yeah. That's why we need divine grace. Mm-hmm. Even our repentance is a gift of God. Yeah. Right? And it's not just feeling bad about something, it's complete reversal of the trajectory of your life. Hmm. And I love self-conceit and self-will. That This self-focus, this self-reliance is what God is saving us from. Hmm. Man, that is good. Lewis has so much good stuff in here. I I like how he he avoids like, so you can see his like his emphasis on mere Christianity when he talks about all those things that you were raising. And then he talks about like theories of the atonement. So there are lots of ways that theologians talk about what is it exactly that Jesus is doing on the cross that saves us? Is it penal substitution? Is it he's destroying death with his body and death with his death? Is he, you know, is it a ransom? Is it all these sorts of, there's lots of different mechanisms. And Lewis is saying like, 
You can be a Christian. Indeed, you can be saved by just believing Jesus died on the cross for my sins and not having any stake in the ground to like, I, I don't know how that works. Like I just don't, it could be any number of things. It could be a combination, but I love how he describes it. He talks about like a man can eat his dinner without understanding exactly how the food nourishes him. So too, a man can accept what Christ has done without knowing how it works. Indeed, he certainly would not know how it works until he has accepted it. So like this kind of mere Christianity thing, again, like Protestants might affirm or the Reformed tradition might affirm uh, one penal substitutionary model. Um, other traditions might affirm something else or two in conjunction with each other. And Lewis is like, okay, well, let's abstract from that a little and see what is like the mere Christianity. What's the core commitment here? And the core commitment is Jesus died on the cross for our sins. And there, like, I can believe that. And it does that sort of salvific work in me, even if I don't have any claim to understand sort of the mechanisms underneath And we it. want to make sure it's important yes. to think out what happened at the cross. That's what we do. Right. We're theologians, philosophers. Right. So we're yeah. not saying be agnostic about it, but we, but this is more of a practical thing. Yeah. When you first become a Christian, you don't really have a developed theology of the Trinity, mm -hmm. of the cross, all these things. But that's okay. It's this trust that Jesus died for me. He has forgiven my sins and I'm gonna, and now I'm able to live a new life. Yeah. That basic nucleus of faith is transforming you. And what happens is, and so, and this is, I think we know this in our lives, whether you grew up a Christian and you've always known Jesus yeah. or you became a Christian in college or later on in life, there's an organic process of in the beginning, you don't really know everything. Yeah. You know very little. You mm -hmm. just know that Jesus saved you, he's changed you. Mm -hmm. And then as you grow in your faith, you start to realize just exactly, you start to work out what actually happened. Right? Yeah, yeah. And that's how it happens for so many of us. Mm -hmm. We don't even fully know how sinful we were at the moment that we were saved. Yeah. Until 10 years down the line, we're that much more holy, but then that much more aware of our sins. Mm -hmm. So we can actually look back at our pre-Christian life and go, I didn't even realize how bad it was. <laughs> right? And what, what Lewis says is, in Christ, a new kind of man appeared. This is in the conclusion in, in chapter 5. A new kind of man appeared, and the new kind of life which began in him is to be put into us. And I love how Lewis, you know, takes the incarnation and says, it's not just that Jesus freed us from death, mm -hmm. but he's also given us a new way to live, right? That the life we see in Jesus, to be a Christ follower is to be an imitator of Christ, mm. right? So he has now paved a new way forward of what it is to be a human being, right? When we follow Christ, we're living in this new kind of life that is no longer full of the self-conceit and the self-will, but now a life connected to God, obedient to God, trusting in God, a life of faith. Yeah, yeah. And he also gives three practical ways that God's life gets imparted to the life of the believer. And he talks about those as baptism, belief, and communion. And those are three things that are, you know, common to all of the Christian traditions and Christian expressions. You're baptized into the church. Like that is you're, you're dying to yourself and you're being raised with Christ. You believe the gospel and you repent, and then you partake in the Lord's Supper. And all of these are life-giving means of grace activities that Lewis talks about how we're embodied, we're creatures. And so we shouldn't expect that transformation happens just through like the spiritual and the mental. God uses physical means, right. which is why the church is a physical entity that helps shape and transform and sanctify us. And baptism is physical. The Lord's Supper is physical. These are tangible, um, tangible expressions and symbols that work their way into our lives. And he, he says they, they impart the life of Christ to us. They make us more like Christ. And so they they do have this really significant transformative component to them. And, you know, he's, when he talks about these bodily acts, like you're mentioning, mm -hmm. uh, I love what he says, uh, there is no good in trying to be more spiritual than God. <laughs> yes. Right. God never meant man to be a purely spiritual creature. Mm. And that's really important. You know, Lewis is going, like you were saying, like, we have five senses. Mm -hmm. We move in space and time. 
places, locations, interaction with people, all these things are formative in us. So we're not just sitting here trying to solve an abstract, like that, that's the thing when people struggle with their faith, Yeah. when people are questioning God, yes, read apologetics, read Lewis, mm -hmm. talk to your, you know, read the, all this stuff. Beyond that, it's like, go to church, yeah, be around some people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like, like come into this community because yeah. those things are formative. Right. We're not just brains with body suits, mm -hmm. right? We're embodied creatures. And, uh, I love what he says, uh, you know, this is why he uses material things like bread and wine to put this new life into us. Now, I don't think he's talking about like some kind of magic hocus pocus, yeah, yeah. but he says, we may think this rather crude and unspiritual. And that's like, we think that like, mm -hmm. you know, uh, the church is not a building, it's people. Well, that's true, <laughs> but the church's building forms you in some ways, yeah, sure. how it looks, mm -hmm. the space, what it communicates, what symbols it uses, yeah. those are forming you, yep. right? And he says, uh, God invented these physical things. God invented eating. He likes matter. He yeah. invented it, yep. right? Yeah. So let's not be more spiritual and act mm. as though, you know, these things don't matter. Yeah. Seeing someone's baptism doesn't matter. Taking the Lord's Supper in church with other people doesn't matter. Singing mm. with other people doesn't matter. Mm. All that matters is your thoughts in your head. <laughs> That's not what God says right. because he created all these other things. Yeah. And he can use them mm -hmm. to help you come to a knowledge of him. In fact, he he expects them to. Like That's the normal way. That's It's not like like God designed that and it's like a byproduct or incidental, like God designed those as the primary normative regular ways that God shapes people is through these physical means. And we shouldn't be surprised by that since we are humans. And since God didn't, if God wanted us to just be spirits and angels, he would have created us to be that. But we're different in that we are material. We do we 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 change and we grow in response to these material influences, and so that's something we should embrace and not be afraid of. And that's not a bad thing because, yeah, I and I think it's because in America, choice is so prominent. You hmm. you are like you can choose your religion. Yeah, you can choose what school you go to. You can choose what uh, team you like. You can choose what major you want. And to make those choices, you try to gain as much information and look at all the different views and see which one fits you and all that stuff. And we think that we're sort of this blank slate. We're just getting all these things of information and whichever one we like, that's what we go with. Yeah. Look at these different schools, look mm -hmm. at these different majors, all that stuff. But that's not actually how we work because every single one of us is born into a family, into mm -hmm. a culture, into a, a neighborhood, into a city, into a whatever. And so we are not just formed by looking at the facts and picking whatever we think. Right. And that's okay. Mm -hmm. That doesn't mean, you know, we are formed also by our community's practices. Mm -hmm. We're formed by the symbols that we see. We're formed by the stories that we hear growing up. Right. And so we're not these radically free creatures that we think we are. So it's not a matter of whether we have stories, symbols, cultures, rituals that shape us. It's which stories, symbols, cultures yeah. shape us. And so sometimes people think, well, you grew up in a church. You never knew any other religion. It's like, I don't need to. Yeah. And the problem is, <laughs> yeah, what's wrong with right? That? Yeah. yeah. But it's only this radical 20th, 20th, 21st century idea of just where you need access to choice. Yeah. And we have, <clears throat> I have to, you know, right, right. weigh it all. And it's like, by the way, even you weighing the different options of religions, your mind is not unbiased. Right. So it's just, it's, it's choosing a religion is almost like choosing what clothes you want to wear a certain day, or it's just about preference and about consumerism and mm. picking what car you want to buy. When Lewis goes, no, it's much more than that. Yeah. He's like, and when you think about passing the faith on to future generations, they're going to need more than just arguments for why Christianity is better. Yeah. yeah. They're going to need a culture. They're going to need a way of life. They're going to need rituals and symbols that form them and ingrain Christianity into their being. Mm -hmm. That's what passes it down. And that's why things like baptism and the Lord's Supper uh, and, and the, just the church in general are so crucial. Yeah. And we don't want to be more spiritual than God. We're not yeah. just passing on facts about God. Right. We're passing on life with mm -hmm. God through the means that he has established. Yeah. Just on that last point of like passing things down, Lewis sort of ends the book with a like, why do I believe all this type? And he says, I believe all this. I believe it on his authority, like on God's authority. 
And he says, like, don't be scared by the word authority. Right. We all believe things based on authority. He talks about <laughs> none of us have seen like George Washington. None of us have seen Abraham Lincoln. He said, I never saw New York, but I believe it exists because people tell me about it and there are books and all this stuff. We've never seen the solar system. We've never seen atoms, viruses, but we we take all of this on faith. 99% of our um, our beliefs are taken on faith. We, we have placed some faith in some authority systems. And so Lewis's point is, well, why do we see like religious beliefs as sort of different and not trustworthy and well, Jesus is trustworthy. Jesus rose from the dead. So I'm going to believe what he says about God, about human nature, about sin, forgiveness, the gospel. And yeah, like th that that's not a, a wonky epistemology. It's not a wonky like belief system. Because we do it all the time. Yeah, already. It's, it's inevitable. Us humans right. have to trust. You didn't go and inspect the bridge and get a degree in mechanical engineering before you drove over the bridge. You trusted that like the engineers knew what they were doing. You trust your doctor when they say like, yeah, you should stay home for a couple days because you have these symptoms, right? <laughs> you trust Brian and Paul when they talk about C.S. Lewis. Oh, yeah, that's good. Or maybe you don't. Maybe you <laughs> Not don't. Not yet. Maybe you should. Maybe <laughs> that's you true. Should. This Who is knows? an argument for trusting in us. Exactly. Mm. C.S. Lewis, can't beat him. He's, He's just a brilliant guy. Amazing. One last quote and we're going to wrap up. Go for it. Now today, this moment is our chance to choose the right side. God is holding back to give us that chance. It will not last forever. We must take it or leave it. I love how your voice kind of changed for that. I know. <laughs> you it's went into like just, movie voice. I know. <laughs> One man incarnate in the flesh. Moral combat. <laughs> oh my gosh. But <laughs> I love that you know, Lewis is kind of like, look, the stakes are high. This is a little bit of his, Lewis's evangelicalism. Yeah, yeah. Where he's just it like, through. you know, this makes a claim on you. You either, God is merciful. He hasn't come back yet. So get on the right side before mm. it's too late. Some good stuff. That is good stuff. Good old Clive. Clive, Clive Staples. Staples Lewis. That's yep. what his name means. There That's is. what his name is. It's what his name is. <laughs> That's just what his what name means. means. <laughs> Thank you guys for listening. Hopefully this was helpful. And uh, passes on to your friends. Leave a review. And we will be back. We will be back. We will be back <laughs> next week.